0: All right, why don't we open our time in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are and the comfort you give and the help and care and love that you give to disciples who are distressed and troubled and confronted, Lord, with many tribulations in this world. And we think of believers this evening all around the world, whether they be in Asia or the Ukraine or the Middle East or many places uh, Lord, in the states as well, where there is heartbreak, there is challenge, and there is distress as we live in just a wicked world. And yet, Lord, our hearts do not need to be troubled. We have every reason to hope and to be joyful, to grieve with those who grieve, but also, Lord, to have peace and hope and to be able to help and give care, Lord, in the same way you did with the disciples that evening before you died because, Lord Jesus, of your great love for us, and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you help us this evening to hear you, to listen to you, and to walk with you, and to walk in the Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and why don't we start uh, by reading this together. And I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the world excuse me, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. If I was to ask you, What help do you need today? What help do you need for your relationships? What help do you need for your work? What help do you need for your family? What help do you need for your walk with Christ? And in fact, I want you to stop for a minute and just think of maybe three things that come to the top of your head that the Lord's brought to your attention the last few days that you need help with. We're not used to asking for help. We're used to fixing things ourselves. But it's good to stop and maybe look, even in light of what we learned this past weekend, about areas that we struggle with anxiety or fear. Three areas that give us stress or distress, maybe. Okay, that you wish, hey, if this went away, everything would be great. Now, maybe some of the things that you're thinking about as you go through that are victory over worry, victory over sin. Maybe it's the desire for a more vibrant faith or a more vibrant or engaged devotional time, or maybe even the ability to understand what Pastor Mark is saying on Sundays, okay? All of those different things, those are a variety of different things, typically that many people ask or talk about or struggle with, especially when we talk about our relationship with the Lord. And with regards to our relationship with others, we ask about the same things. I just wish they could understand me. I wish they would just do as I asked. I wish we could just get along or see eye to eye on some of these things rather than having to avoid discussing them. As we come to John chapter 14, and really John 14 through 17, because this whole section is a portion of scripture that covers Jesus' care for his disciples the night before he is being crucified. And I'm going to try and give you the authorial intent up front, okay, so you don't have to wait till the end, at least, as we've gone through it. But I believe the point that Jesus is making, he's really loving and caring for his disciples who are having a hard time, understandably so, right? He's told them he's going away. He's just told Peter that Peter's gonna deny him, that he's the lead, if Peter's gonna fail, how about the rest of us? He's always basically the star disciple, so to speak. That they're going to be a mess. And as you go through John 14 through 17, our Lord and Savior is taking care of his disciples. He's loving them. He's providing what they need. They might not think they need it, but he's providing what they need. They definitely want help, and that you see the direction of the questions that they're asking Jesus, okay? And they're starting to get frenetic and and desperate. But as we go through, Jesus makes a point, especially in John 14, That all the help we need to grow, to be fruitful as believers, to weather storms, to weather trials and tribulations, to deal with the worst that the world can bring against us. I mean, because what's worse than having your Lord and Master crucified and people come directly after you. And in John 15, he talks about the world hating you. They're going to hate you because they hated me. They're going to hand you over to the synagogues. They're going to string you up and they're going to lynch you. How's that for a pep talk to make you feel better? Jesus' point is, no matter what the storm, no matter what the difficulty, all the help you need to thrive, to grow, to be fruitful, to be pleasing to God, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. All the help you need, God has already given us in Christ. You have it all. Very specifically, in chapter 14, he talks about the ministry of the Word and the Spirit. You look and you go through chapter 14 through 17, there are three gifts, shall we say, that are given, that Christ gives to take care of the disciples after he leaves, now through eternity his word, his prayer, and his Holy Spirit. And he says, everything that you need, you have to have peace, to overcome sin to grow, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. There's no secret camp. There's no special course. There's no select seminary or priesthood. You have it all. This is how much I love you. And this is for those who love me and keep my commandments. And very specifically, as you look at that, and you look for us, and you look at Christians over the ages... Okay, who didn't have computer screens, who didn't have Logos software, who didn't have a church network or a shepherd's fellowship, from tiny little churches in Asia Minor, Minor to Africa, Ethiopia, all the way, what is it that sustained? What is it that endured? What is it that set them apart? What is it that gave them joy and strength in the face of persecution? It's the ministry of the word and prayer. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit and the word of Christ. Okay? Those two gifts that the Lord has given to take care of his children until he comes again. And he's saying, I haven't given you second best. I've given you the very best. I've given you myself with the gift of the spirit and the gift of the word. Now, Our focus this evening is on the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And really, as we come into this, I probably have around 30 minutes to cover this. As I went through it, you know, we could have a whole semester on it. So I'm just going to try and hit the high points. I'm going to miss things. Your FOF book is wonderful. And I'm going to encourage you after this to go back through it and read it because I think it will be an incredible encouragement to you. And we're going to take a little bit more time this evening, okay? Because one of the big areas of distortion that Satan attacks in going to the Word of God is the person and ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John Owen makes this point God's two greatest gifts to his children, his two greatest gifts that he's given his children, are his son. Jesus Christ, the life of his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift you'll ever have. And number two, the gift of his Holy Spirit. Okay? The second and third person of the Trinity. Did I get that right? Okay. The greatest gifts that you will ever have, God has given you. And so it doesn't come as a surprise that to discourage you and to discourage you in your walk with Christ and to shake and rattle you or to get you to go off. The place where Satan is going to attack, the place where the world is going to attack, the place where your flesh and your sin are going to attack, they're going to try and distort and cover and shade over, is going to be the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the person and work of the Holy Spirit according to God's Word. Those are specifically the areas that you go. And as you look at the history of the church from beginning to end, the same problems come up over and over again. People question the authority of Scripture. People question whether Jesus really existed or whether he really died on the cross. And people question, is the Holy Spirit really active in the church? Or it swings from one extreme to the other. And with the Holy Spirit, it goes from Marvel comic superhero, okay? We speak in tongues. We have charismatic gifts. We lay hands on one another. We have all these miracles and signs. It goes from that extreme, okay, to the other extreme where we function, and this happens fairly frequently. There are any number of sermons you can hear or places that you can participate or podcasts that you can listen to where the Holy Spirit is never mentioned. And brothers and sisters, both extremes are a distortion of the true gospel because God's work of salvation is a work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three are always present. They are never separate from God's word. And what ends up happening when we go to the one side where the ministry of the Holy Spirit is this, you know, Star Wars, right? Let the force be with you, right? Are you on the dark side or are you on the good side, right? When it goes on that extreme, it's all about the power that we possess. When it goes on the other extreme where we don't talk about it at all, the same thing happens. What ends up happening is you have a very man-centered gospel where it becomes all about us. It either becomes about our giftedness or it becomes about all the things we do, and both of those become a distortion and, in fact, an incredible discouragement because you see people on both sides, believers, becoming discouraged that they don't measure up. I either don't have the giftedness or I don't have the victory or accomplishment. I can't do it. And yet, as we come back to John 14, the encouragement that Christ gives is that His Holy Spirit is given To all believers, all who love Christ and keep his commands, he gives his spirit. And it's helpful to walk through and see because in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is explicit about what the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And it is very different from what we typically hear or what we typically talk about. And yet I think you'll find as you go through these two chapters in FOF, the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I believe you'll be incredibly encouraged. Because as you go blow by blow by blow, what Scripture and what God himself says about the work and ministry of his Son and his Spirit in our lives, you cannot help but be encouraged and to have courage and confidence and strength and hope with all the things that you are presently dealing with at this time. Well, that's the introduction, right? What I want to do with you is give you a brief survey of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit through Scripture to set up our time in John 14. Can I have my next slide, please? Thank you. Okay, as you go through... God's word from beginning to end. And we've said this many times. It's not an encyclopedia. It is a story and a love letter that God has given to his people that shares with us his plan of salvation for his people. It begins in Genesis. It ends in Revelation. And it has a beginning, and it has a middle, and it has an end. And as you walk through, what you see is that the Trinity is present throughout but it's a progressive revelation. I've said this with my boys this evening at dinner time, As we read a book about a particular character in the book, do you know everything about the hero at the beginning of the book? Typically, no. As you walk through that book and you walk through that story from beginning to end, you learn about that hero through the trials and challenges and everything that happens. And by the end of the book, you have a more complete picture than you did at the beginning. Now, that's not to diminish God to being the hero of a book. But he is the central character and the central figure in the book. And so as you walk through from beginning to end, you will see that what are footprints and fingerprints of the Trinity in the beginning become more explicit and are progressively revealed as we come to the end of the story. And there's a reason for that which we will get to. But when you start in Genesis, when you go to Genesis you see in the beginning that there's this statement in Genesis 1, I think, 26, where it says, um, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And then in Genesis 3, the Lord or God says and makes a comment about the first man and woman who have sinned. They said, well, now that they know good and evil, they will be like us. And there's a plural statement where this one God speaks about himself in plural terms. And as you walk through and you progressively go to the New Testament, you see that there is this consistency. One God, very, very clear. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Explicit. And yet there are three distinct persons. One God, yet three distinct persons, and three Distinct ministries. And we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is and has always been and always will be because it's true what sets apart the true and orthodox faith from all the heresies. And as you go through the history of the church, this gets bent out of shape in countless different ways. Okay, They're all one. There's not a distinction between the three. Okay, It was just God the Father showing up in different forms, but as you go through, you're going to see this explicitly. One God, but three distinct persons. Can I have my next slide, please? Thank you. Now, the story of the Spirit, we go back to Genesis 1, 1 through 3. And when you go to Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the very beginning, we read And we see that the life and work of God is never separate from His Spirit and His Word. Now, I know that sounds technical and detailed, but it's critically important. Why? Because how many times do you see people talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, and their lives bear no resemblance to the Word of God? Okay, and this is why John in First John says, test the spirit, and test the spirits, excuse me, okay, that from the very beginning, God's life and his work is never separate from his spirit and his word. They always work in perfect unity and harmony together. Where there is one, there is the other. They are never separate. And we see this in the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, where there is mention made of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters and the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim. And that word Ruach is the same word for breath or wind. And in the New Testament, it's pneuma. And it's this idea of movement of something that you cannot see and yet something that moves or causes effect or change. And then afterwards you hear about God speaking his word and creation begins. God's word, God's spirit, and God the Father. They are there implicitly. And then as you go through the Old Testament you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's very explicit. And I've listed a number of references from some of the very first references of the Holy Spirit. And as you walk through and see, what is this ministry of the Holy Spirit? And the reason we're going through this is, you will see that the person, the attributes, the character and the ministry of the Holy Spirit remains the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the church presently. That as you go through the story in the beginning, the Holy Spirit fills God's servant leaders. It is not the entirety of God's people in the Old Covenant, but distinctly, it's first made mention with Joseph. Then we have reference to Moses, we have reference to Joshua, we have reference to the 70 elders. We have reference to the craftsman who God assigns to oversee the creation of the tabernacle. But consistently the pattern is that God's spirit is given to his servant leaders for a purpose. And the primary purpose is prophecy. Now, prophecy we think of as <clears throat> Harry Potter world, right? That's where we get caught up, right? Or the Lord of the Rings, that it's, it's, it's Gandalf, that there are wizards who have these spectacular powers, right? But prophecy is not even fortune-telling or telling or predicting the future. The idea of prophecy from the Old Testament to the New Testament is simply being called to proclaim God's word to God's people, called and appointed to be God's ambassador or his spokesperson, This was the role of the servant leaders in the Old Testament. King David, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. The miracles and signs that occurred, which were produced by the Spirit of God, strictly served to point people to the author of that word. To point us to God, not to ourselves. The giftedness was to point us back to the word of God. So you see Moses, when he brings and comes and brings all the plagues and the miracles that happen in Egypt, the purpose of each one harkens back to creation and is a direct judgment against the gods of Egypt, making a statement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God was, in fact, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, is the God over all of creation. So, the purpose ultimately of the Spirit is to bring God's people back to God. It's unity with God and unity with the people of God. It's to bring God's people into the life of God. This was the purpose of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in the Old Testament. It's often overlooked. Now, there's this passage in Numbers 11 where Moses goes to the tent of meeting with Joshua, and he's told to bring the 70 elders. And the 70 elders, the, the ministry in taking care of the people is too much for Moses. And so the Lord takes His Holy Spirit that's in Moses and gives a portion of it to the 70 elders. For what purpose? So that they can speak the Word of God and lead the people to God. And those 70 elders begin to prophesy. They begin to speak the word of God. But then they discover that in the camp, there are these two other guys who are filled with the spirit of God and they begin prophesying too. And Joshua gets alarmed and he gets concerned. And he goes to Moses and says, do you want me to tell them to stop? Unsanctioned. I get you, you're filled with the spirit. I get me, I'm filled with the spirit. I get these 70 elders, but these two guys over here Jeff and Joe, they had Hebrew names, right? And Moses says in Numbers eleven twenty nine, 29, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And we see an anticipation and a preparation for God's purpose and plan for the people of God. That in the beginning in the Old Covenant, the Spirit was given to select leaders for the purpose of proclaiming His Word and leading the people to God. But there would come a day, and this is going to be repeated over and over and over again and fulfilled once you get to Ezekiel, where God's preparation and anticipation in the New Covenant is that all His people would be filled with His Spirit and be filled with His Word and be filled with a new heart So that they could be one with God, one with God's people, and so that they could bring others, where? To the Lord. Okay, the ministry of the Spirit is to bring people to the Lord according to God's Word. That's the Old Testament. Can I have my next slide, please? Thanks. Now, what's interesting as you go through the Old Testament is that the miracles and the signs begin to diminish when the Word of God accomplishes its task. And you start to see as you get to the end of the Old Testament, and you see prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah who write an awful lot. Well, the miracles are very slim. Slim. There's something that's happening here because the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to God. And when people's hearts become hardened and the word is complete and everything that is said is put out there and God's word is complete, there's no longer a need for signs or miracles or wonders. There is a cessation that starts to happen as you come to the end of the Old Testament. But there is a promise and a prediction And we see it in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. It's worth having a look at this if you have your Bibles. Have a look at Ezekiel 36 and go to verse 25. God's promise of salvation for the children of Israel who have been terribly apostate. He says in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's making reference to the new birth and the new covenant. And in fact, this is a reference when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus cannot understand what's going on. And Jesus says, unless you're born of water and the spirit... You cannot even see or enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, one of the references is Ezekiel and God's word in Ezekiel. In verse 27, he says, and I will put my spirit within you. Okay, and, and what effect does this have? I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and you will speak tongues. I will put my spirit in you and you will be able to cast out demons. I will put my spirit in you and you will be able to heal other people. What does the Lord say? And I will put my spirit, verse 27, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. We'll be one sanctification. The Spirit making God's people what they cannot make for themselves. Clean, washed, obedient, holy, with a new heart and a new life that comes from above and free of that old life. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification. And the Spirit is the one who accomplishes that. And then Ezekiel 37, 14a, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And then he goes on and says, And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do what declares the Lord. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to fulfill God's word in the lives of his people. That's the big end game to fulfill God's word in the lives of his people and to bring them to God, to make them holy and set them apart for the purpose of being one with God as he planned it from the beginning in Genesis and to be one with the other people of God. It's always been the plan. Can I have my next slide, please? Okay, now we get to John. Okay, that's the Old Testament, and that's the preparation. It doesn't, and it shouldn't come as a surprise, that as we come to the New Testament and we come to Jesus the Son, whose role is the Word of God, the mediator, the one who reveals all that God is and all that God does, that the Trinity becomes explicit, it becomes visible, that we begin to see clearly the fullness of who God is. Why? Because this is why Christ came, and it's in the gospel ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we begin to see much more clearly God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We begin to see the will of God, we begin to see the work of God, and we begin to see the Word of God, and we start to begin to see more clearly in focus this one God, but these three distinct ministries. And as we Consider John 1. John begins with the unity, but the distinct personhood and ministries of God the Father. That's John 1, verse 14. God the Son, verse 1 and 14. And God the Holy Spirit, verse 32 and 33. I don't think that's by accident. He's making the point. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, it ain't my work. And it ain't your work. It's a salvation and a deliverance of people who could not save themselves. It is a work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they are all involved. And they never work apart from the Word of God. And so we see as we walk through what Jesus shows us is he shows us the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit, and how they work to take care of God's children. Can I have my next slide, please? And this is what brings us to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 happens the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And the context is Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to betray him. Not once, but three times before the cock crows. Not only am I leaving, but when I'm gone, you're going to be a hot mess and you're going to fall apart. Understandably, as you go through the rest of John 14, the disciples are distressed like nobody's business. They're troubled and they're disturbed. And so what does Jesus say right at the beginning? And this starts the whole passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, what is the remedy? It's trust, confidence, and faith. In all that God is and all that God does, trust, confidence, and faith in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. That's it. But then Jesus, very sweetly, as he goes through the rest of chapter 14, he unpacks what it means to believe in God and what it means to believe in Jesus. And he walks through God's provision to help them when their faith is weak and when they are struggling. And it's no surprise that as he walks through God's provision, his primary care for his people is his word, his spirit, and his prayer. And that's what we see in focus in John 14, verses 15 through 17. Have a look at those verses, if you would, with me. What does Jesus write there or say? He says... If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father. Okay, what is that? It's a prayer. It's a petition, right? This is Jesus' role as mediator. He's intervening on our behalf. We don't know what we need, but he's going to step in and do it for us. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or paraclete. To be with you temporarily. Every time you go to church on Sunday, so you can get filled up with a little bit more, put more gas in the tank. To be with you forever. The Son intercedes and mediates on our behalf and asks what we don't deserve. The Father is the one who wills and gives. The Son intercedes in love, the Father gives in love. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, during those three years, the disciples are following Jesus everywhere. Did they ever lack for a meal? Did they ever lack for a place to stay? Were they attacked by others? Absolutely. Pharisees, Sadducees, people picking at them, confronted by demons. They were taken care of every step of the way. Did they ever sin? Absolutely, they did. Okay? Were they hard-headed goofballs? Absolutely. They fought with one another even up until the last evening of who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who is it who held them together? Who is it who took care of them? Who is it who protected them? Who is it who fed them? Who is it who took care of everything that they needed physically and spiritually? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the Spirit within him, filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. And that's why I said, the Spirit who dwelt with you. It's the person of Christ. They always, as long as they were with Jesus, they were okay. And that's why when Peter gets separated from Jesus... The night of Jesus' betrayal, he falls apart. He can't hold it together on his own. Jesus makes it very, I don't care how much you say you love me, I don't care how much you say, I'm out of the picture, you're sinking, right? But don't be discouraged and don't worry. Because I have interceded in your behalf. I know what you need. What do you need? You need a life from above. You need a power from above. You need the presence of God Himself in you to strengthen you, encourage you, to guide you, to lead you, to help you overcome sin and temptation, and to unite you with God and to bring you home. I did it for the last three years, but in my absence, there's going to be something better. It's going to be God in you, and it's the completion of God's plan of salvation. And he will no longer just be with you. He will actually be in you. The same spirit who was in me. And this spirit is going to fulfill God's word in your life. He's going to finish the good work that Christ began. And we see the exact same ministry, but for a unique period in time in God's salvation plan. Now for every believer, not just for the leaders, but still the same purpose. To fulfill God's word in the lives of God's servant leaders, now a church of servant leaders, a church of servant helpers, okay? Bringing them together, uniting their lives with God and uniting their lives with one another, giving them everything that they need. What do they need? God's spirit and God's word. Can I have my next slide, please? How does Jesus refer to the helper, the Holy Spirit? Okay, and this is important because some people we tend to they just let's just think about how we think of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think of Him as a life force. Okay, how often do we consider, in a day-to-day basis, when we're struggling, that an actual person resides in me and is here to help me? Jesus refers to Him multiple times as Him or He. Gender specific, Him or He. Okay, He refers to Him as a distinct person who is inseparably united with God the Father and God the Son. He is referred to as one who has all the attributes of God, communicable and incommunicable, truth, holiness, unity. Okay, and then I think what's super interesting to me, but I know it's been a long day for you all, but it's worth looking specifically through 15 14 through 17, the specific activities that Jesus highlights of what the Spirit does. Once again, does he talk about the Spirit is going to come and he's going to enable you to speak in tongues and you are going to feel so good about your Christian life. The Spirit is going to come and he's going to give you a word of affirmation about your life and he's going to validate you and you're going to feel just awesome. He talks about, in John chapter 3, the Spirit coming and giving you a new birth and a new life that the Spirit is going to regenerate. He talks about the Spirit coming and indwelling, living in you, being present. He talks about the Spirit sanctifying His disciples, setting them apart so they belong entirely to God, helping them and enabling them and putting every resource at their disposal, including faith, to be obedient to God, to walk in holiness. Later in Titus, there's a talk about washing and regenerating. He talks very specifically in these passages about the Spirit instructing and leading us with God's Word. They're not really fancy Skills and tasks, are they? They're not the sort of whistles and bells that we get all excited that we've got some superpower. And yet, when we turn the world right side up, these are the very things that transform and change and unite us with God and unite us with one another. The very spirit and life of God, this is what it does. And finally, the Spirit bears witness to and glorifies Christ in us. That just by virtue of the Holy Spirit being present and with all that He does and all that He is, He bears witness that Christ is indeed Lord, that He has risen from the grave and our lives give glory and bear witness to the infinite greatness, the infinite goodness, and the infinite grace of a God Who would allow his spirit and his person to reside in sinners like us. From the worst of us to the best of us. And so what Jesus points to is the spirit's ministry is to fulfill God's will and his word in our lives. And to bring us to God. And to unite us with God and unite us with one another. And to do the impossible. That's God's gift to us. That's God's love for us. And Jesus is pointing out, I've got you covered you're taking care of everything that you need to walk well with the Lord and to resist all the ugliness and darkness of the world you will have in you for my disciples, those who hear me and love me and obey my commands. Now, he also points out that the Spirit cannot be seen, cannot be known, or cannot be received by the world. And this plays an important part. Can I have my next slide, please? As you walk through the New Testament, you begin to see that the Spirit's primary work that Jesus describes in John chapter 14 through 17 does not change. The Spirit consistently comes in And gives new hearts. The Spirit consistently comes in and points people to Christ. The Spirit consistently comes in and fulfills God's word in the lives of believers. So that as time goes on, they look more and more like Jesus. And more and more like the word of God. The Spirit consistently grows people closer to God and closer to one another. In our marriages, our relationships, our local church. And the Spirit consistently attracts attention of the world that something different is happening that they can't understand. But what begins to fade as you go through the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, are the supernatural signs and wonders that serve primarily to authenticate the prophetic ministry of the apostles as the witnesses of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church, And those who would complete the canon of God's word. And when that canon was completed or the word of God was completed, there is no more need for the supernatural works of the Holy Spirit sign gifts that we read about that were given for a discreet and specific moment. First and foremost with Jesus' arrival. Secondly, with the apostles at Pentecost for the launch of the church that pointed to God and the word of God rather than the powers of men. And so you go through our doctrinal statement, this is a cessationist church. It means our conviction and belief. As you walk through the scriptures, and you take the scriptures at face value, that the sign gifts of speaking in tongues, and the performing of miracles, and the mighty works that were given as we see here in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The true apostles, okay, the signs of the true apostles, that with the end of the apostolic age, those supernatural signs have ceased. Canon does God still do miracles? Yes, he does. But does he specifically do them through leaders in the church or specific designated people who have a full-time job to heal, speak in tongues, or do spectacular miracles? The testimony of God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, is that is not normative or normal. That's not the normative work of the Holy Spirit in the local church. Why? Because the purpose of the Spirit is to bring us to God and bring us to one another. That's his end, because the Spirit is about God's love taking care of his children. Now, that is a little bit of a rub, but that is essentially where we stand as a church based upon, I believe, a right interpretation of God's word and God's desire that you would know, first and foremost, his love. Now, can I have my next slide? We are almost done. I will be done by 9.30. Thank you for bearing with me. As you go through the New Testament, it makes very clear what the normative work of the Holy Spirit is. Why should this be an encouragement to you and I? Because as we look at our lives through the lens of God's word, as children of God who love the Lord and obey his commands, we will be able to see the presence and work of the Spirit. Okay, what is the Spirit's normative work? He convicts of sin and glorifies Christ. Not something we look forward to. He makes us feel uncomfortable. But He also shines the light on the goodness and greatness of Christ. He regenerates, He indwells, and He participates in this baptism of the Holy Spirit that takes place one time only. When you are saved, You are baptized into the fellowship of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 1. And you are baptized or brought into the fellowship of God's church of other believers. So you don't need to go when you're feeling discouraged or bad and go for a second or third or fourth baptism of the Spirit. Or you don't have to lament that your ministry is not big enough because you're just not filled with the Spirit in the way that Moody was filled with the Spirit. Or all these other great preachers, Jonathan Edwards or whatever, they have this special anointing of the Holy Spirit for service and ministry. Which is very popular in American evangelicalism. God doesn't make first class and second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't show favoritism to his children. If you are a child of God, it's because you've been born of God and you are filled with his spirit. And every child of God who's born of God has the same spirit, the spirit of God. Plain and simple. There are no illegal aliens in the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit seals and sanctifies and fills. To seal, it's the stamp and guarantee that you belong to God, setting you apart, letting you know you're not part of the world. You belong entirely to the Lord. And when you act accordingly, there's an affirmation. When you don't act accordingly, there is conviction of sin. You belong entirely to God. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for obedience. And the end of sanctification, brothers and sisters, that the Spirit empowers and enables and brings us to, Well, what's the verification of that? Obedience to God's word. It's a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. We don't obey to get a better relationship with God. We obey as an expression of a love and a life that comes from the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit fills us, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The Holy Spirit instructs and leads us in God's ways. Do you ever want to know what God's will is for your life? Who you should marry? What job you should have? Well, according to God's word, the Spirit has been given to lead you and instruct you in the word of God to bring you to the place where you can be pleasing to God in every aspect of your life. The Spirit's normative work is to bring the fruits and gifts of God's grace in your life, love, joy, peace, self-control, and ultimately, as we said before, to unite us with God and with his people. Now, The FOF manual makes this distinction, and it's important. You can look it up about this idea of filling with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Because it gets abused. Because people believe, I need a jolt to my spiritual life. i got to go and get like, some vitamin boost, or I have to do some cleanse, right? And I take it, and then I feel good, and I get going for a little while. And so you've got to keep on going to get filled up. But the idea of filling with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians, talks about do not be drunk with Wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the imagery that's used, like someone who is drunk, where every aspect of their life is being influenced by the drug or substance that is in them can't walk straight, slur their speech, okay, how they think, how they function is being affected. The metaphor that's being used that to be filled with the Spirit is for every aspect of your life, your speech, your relationships, how you deal with your kids, how you do your work, where every aspect is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? It happens, Ephesians points out, through the ministry of the Word and prayer, because the Spirit will always work in sync with the Word. So when we never read our Bibles, men, or we don't know what's in our Bibles, and the reason we labor in logos so that you would, with precision, understand what God's saying, not what you feel or think you're understanding, it's for the purpose of coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I've hid your word in my heart so that I might not sin against thee, right? That the idea of treasuring God's word and listening to it and revering it and allowing it to fill our hearts and lives, right, is for the purpose. The idea of singing hymns and spiritual songs and psalms and to have our lives filled with all the goodness of God's Word is for the idea of submitting or yielding or coming under the direction and leading of the Spirit. Because how is the Spirit of God going to lead you? He's always going to lead you according to God's Word, right? Right? Everything that you need, you have through the ministry of the word and prayer. And that's the other aspect. It's prayer. It's being on our knees. Maybe we don't get it when we want or when we feel it, but at the end of the day, God has given you this opportunity because Christ in love intercedes on your behalf. 931, I'm landing the plane. Next slide, please. Okay, why are we not filled with the Spirit? Why do evangelical Christians and non-charismatic, we're non-charismatic, okay? Small c. Why do we walk around feeling or functioning as if the Spirit doesn't exist? Well, where is it? First of all, Jesus already said, the world cannot receive, the world cannot know, and the world cannot receive the Spirit. Many times we're looking for the Spirit with the flesh. We want that jolt. We want that feeling. We want that experience. And when we don't have it, well, the Spirit's not working. And we don't give the Spirit the credit He deserves. But here are some of the other reasons. Resisting or opposing the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit. Ephesians 4. What are the things that grieve the Spirit? Well, He talks about a whole list. When we walk in our past ways of living. Bitterness. Unwholesome talk. Unwholesome jokes. Okay? Anger, selfish ambition, all of these things. Envy, all of these things. But roots of bitterness, resentment, pride, all of those things. When we wallow or we live in those places, we are actually grieving the Holy Spirit, walking in flesh or darkness. Now, I want to raise this. I think we underestimate the extent to which our entertainment, and our lifestyle in the West plays an impact on walking with the Spirit. We are so numbed out by the pleasures of this world, by the comforts of this world. I'll speak as myself. Our big screen TVs, right? Our audio, our internet, all the things coming in. Filling our lives and pressing the buttons and our TikTok and social media buttons of the flesh. When we feed the flesh, we feed the flesh, we feed the flesh, we feed the flesh flesh in whatever aspect of our lives, okay? The natural man cannot see or understand the spirit of God. When we build those things up and we build those muscles up, we become numb and desensitized and blind to the Spirit. Now, my wife is not the Holy Spirit and I'm not God. This is strictly an illustration. But if I'm at home with Julie and she asks me to do something for the kids and I ignore the first time, she asks me the second time, Mark, I want you to do this for my kids. Martha, kids need this. Third time. Oh, honey, I'm sermon prepping, man. So busy. And eventually, Julie's like, he ain't listening. I'm just going to take care of this myself. Kids get taken care of, things move on. What happens over time in that relationship, brothers? And sisters who are watching. Right? And the same is true in our life with the Lord. As we ignore, 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 ignore. And we listen, 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 listen to other things, whatever it might be—our work, our career, our visions, whatever it is. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we are resisting the Spirit. We become desensitized, and we become blind, and we get to the point where we can't even hear Him speak. And then we come into church on Sunday, and we hope we get this jolt and this moment that's going to come in, and shh, it's going to come and give me the zap. And when we come back to God's Word, that's not how the Spirit works, is it? The Spirit loves us in the same way Christ does. So obviously, you know, worldliness and idolatry and minds that are set on the things of the flesh. So it's important, as we look at this, why is it sometimes that we get discouraged and we have despair. I can't see the Spirit working. Is He really in me? What's going on? We don't have victory in this area or this area or this area of my life. And one of the big areas when you come to 1 Corinthians is that they started to take the Spirit for granted. They had all the gifts. They had all the blessings. They thought it was all about them. They forgot about the Holy Spirit and they were just doing their own thing. What's the remedy? And we'll close with this. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. How can we walk in the Spirit? How can we have encouragement and strength? Well, Jesus points out, it begins by trusting in God's perfect care for us. That everything God has given, we have, and that His Word and His Spirit are sufficient. Love Christ and keep His commandments. How do we do that? By walking in and with the Spirit, according to His Word. And remember that God's purpose is, For his children, his end game is that you would be one with him and that we would be one with the other people of God. What are God's greatest gifts? You have them already, the Son of Christ and the Spirit of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that everything we need for this life, to stand firm, to be pleasing to you and to glorify you, we have already been given. Lord Jesus, when you left, you gave us your spirit. And so we want to thank you for that. But we do ask for your help, Lord Jesus. Would you help us to walk with the spirit? Would you help us to listen to him? And would you help us, Lord, to be grateful and to celebrate all that he is doing in our hearts and our lives? In your name we pray. Amen.